I'm going to preach a sermon this morning, um, and my sermon is about the kingdom of God. It's something that we've been talking about, I believe. This is going to be the last in my series, a cool side note to this. Uh, my parents go to church in Kentucky. Um, that's where they live, obviously, and uh, it's a larger church, whatever else. But my dad's teaching a small group, and they run from about six to eight weeks. And so I was talking to him on Sunday, and my dad said that he's choosing to teach my kingdom of God series in his church, uh, which was kind of cool because, you know, um, anyway, he's going to use the little videos I do on Facebook, but it was just kind of one of those funny things. Um, I'll say this, that I truly believe this is an understanding that God wants us to have. I believe that Jesus taught on the kingdom of God more than anything else because it changes the way in which we live when we truly understand his kingdom. We've been looking at the kingdom of God. The reality of this whole series has been that the kingdom of God is truly a treasure. Uh, remember that parable. It's a treasure for us to discover. It's a treasure of value that, that we need to realize, not just for ourselves, but for those who are around us. We find this treasure in the Word of God. It shouldn't surprise us that another parable says it's found in the OT and the New T. Bringing out the truth through the Spirit of God about His kingdom in the Word of God. When I read the Word, thinking about the kingdom of God, I can't help but see His kingdom throughout the entirety of Scripture. We enter this kingdom through repentance and submission. We have to deny ourselves to be in the kingdom of God. The kingdom is truly defined by that which God reigns, his reign in us. In that, that kingdom, or to experience the reign of God, I have to let him be in charge. I have to submit to him. I have to repent from what was. And when I live that way in submitting, submitting and repentance, God gives me authority. He gives me the authority to be an ambassador of Christ. He gives me the authority of the king to be his representative in this world. And when I'm in this kingdom, the last sermon that we looked at was, I should expect to grow. There should be change in me being a part of the kingdom of God. A lot of the kingdom parables, he's using the analogy of seeds or sowers. What do we plant seeds for? We plant seeds so they can grow. We should anticipate being in the kingdom of God that we will grow. That catches, catches us up to where we are today. Today I want to, to conclude this series or, or just wrap it up with an idea that I believe we see throughout the scriptures when it comes to the kingdom of God. Remember we started in the beginning in Genesis creation when we were talking about the kingdom. Now God's kingdom is absolutely revealed when he creates man. How did he create man? He created man in his image. Why? He gave them the authority, he said, so you can reign over the things of this earth. God, when he created man, was revealing the revelation of his kingdom. That's in Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, we see a different picture of this creation. Remember, there's this, he creates man. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put a man, the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Later on in chapter 2, it continues. I didn't change it at the top, but the verse changed. Uh, verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds, the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs 
and he closed up the place where the, uh, uh, with flesh. Uh, when the Lord God made a woman from the rib, he had taken out of the man, or then he did, and he brought her to the man. I just want to read one more verse in Genesis chapter 3, and I want to ask some questions. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of day. There's some stuff that happened in between here, and we'll touch on that. And they hid from God among the trees of the garden. When God created, see, this was the creative nature of God. He's creating this world. He created a man, and he created a place. That place was Eden. And what made Eden unique? What was the unique about Eden? I can't hear you. What was unique about Eden? It was perfect. What else was unique about Eden? I'm fishing, but... But the reality is, what I see through all this, I mean, this picture, that's why I read those verses about him naming the animals. God was with Adam in the garden, right? Isn't that really one of the uniques about the Garden of Eden was the physical presence of God in which he walked with, he talked with, he was with the creation, with man. That's what was unique. And then man did what? Man screwed up, right? I mean, Adam and Eve, they did this whole thing. They ate from the tree and... and, and but, but after they ate in the tree, I love this, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the cool of the day. See, that was the nature of the kingdom. God's presence was there in Eden. And when I talk about the kingdom of God, I have to talk about the presence of God. Because all through the word of God, we see that his kingdom is identified by his presence. As children of God, as those who are in his kingdom, when we're looking for the kingdom, when we're trying to discover the kingdom, we should have an expectation for the presence of God. Because where his kingdom is, his presence is. We can see that consistently throughout scripture. Exodus, this is Moses. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people. But you've not let me know whom you will send to me. You've said, I know you by name and you found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me? And how will your people, unless you go with us, what else will do what? Distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth. You see, the children of God, we are distinguished by what? The presence of God. Moses is saying, how are people going to listen to me? What's What's going to make me any different from anything else in this world? And God says, my presence will go with you. I believe the word that he's speaking to Moses is the revelation of the kingdom of God. If you're in my kingdom, what makes you unique is the presence of God that goes with you. He reiterates this, Deuteronomy chapter 31. Do not be, or be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. Because of them, because the Lord, your God, goes with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Then we got this, the beginning uh, uh, of John, John chapter 1. The beginning starts, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Remember that? 
And then as we read these verses, he was in the world, though the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see that he gave them the right to become part of the kingdom of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word did what? Became flesh and did what? I will never leave you or forsake you. The word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. What is happening? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. He said the revelation of God, a part of me must come where? In the form of flesh to do what? Make his dwelling among us. Why? To reveal the kingdom of God. To bring about a revelation of my kingdom. You see, God's kingdom is revealed through his presence. It's evidenced by his presence. Today, in the ecclesiastical calendar, is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day we celebrate what happened in Acts chapter 2. When the disciples were, were filled with the Spirit of God, they were empowered by the Spirit of God to speak, right? So what is Jesus saying? The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. Then what's going to happen to Jesus? He's going to die, right? And he says, I'm going to do what? I'm going to go to the Father. John chapter, uh, this is in John 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you an advocate, another advocate to help you and do what? The presence of God identifies the kingdom of God. Listen, church, we should have an expectation for the presence of God. In our lives. He said, I'm going to the Father, but I'm going to send you an advocate, one that will help you, who's going to be with you forever. That's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be where? In you. But you'll receive in Acts chapter 1. Verse 8, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Think about the Old Testament. I love this because now God is saying, remember we read this later in in Corinthians. We just read it in men's Bible study. that talks about that we are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the temple was identified by the presence of God, right? That was the place in which his presence dwelled. When Jesus Christ died, what happened? The curtain was torn, and what became the temple of God? We did. And he's saying to us, as as children of the Most High, as, as representatives of his kingdom, that we are now the presence of God. We are those in which are identified. There were lots of tents in Israel. There were lots of places in Israel, but there was one place where the glory of God was revealed. There was one place where his presence was tangibly revealed. That was the temple. That's the power of Pentecost. We today are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and his presence dwells in us. We should be distinguished, Moses, by the presence of God that is in us. i read one more, and then I'm going to preach. 
Revelation chapter 21, this is the whole story. This is the fulfillment. This is God's plan being complete. See, we started in Genesis chapter 2. We're in Revelation chapter... Actually, we started in Genesis chapter 1. We're in Revelation chapter 21. This is the end of the book. This is God's plan. He says, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. You see, the revelation of the kingdom of God is all about the presence of God. God's kingdom is identified by his presence. The perfection in which God started when he created Eden. He desired a place in which he dwelled, in which he walked among his people. What we see him saying time and time again is in spite of us, I'm going to continue to be with you. In spite of where we are, I'm going to continue to walk with you. My presence will go with you. You'll be distinguished. You'll be identified by my presence. He continues to say, I'm going to come into this world. The word's going to be made flesh. And he's going to make his dwelling among you as a revelation of the kingdom of God. When Jesus goes up, the spirit comes in. He says, I'm going to indwell you. I'm going to infill you with the the presence, the power, the promise that God will not leave you or forsake you. Perfection in the end. When all this stuff is complete, when Jesus has come back, when the story is completed, he says, I'm going to dwell with you forever. I don't know that we have an expectation for the presence of God. We have moments, right? We come to church and we expect to experience the presence of God. But do we really long for the presence of God? Do we really expect this presence? I mean, I think of Israel and they had this this pillar of fire uh, by night and this cloud of smoke by day. They knew the presence of God was before them and behind them. They would look for that presence before they would move. They would look to see if the presence was on the temple or not so they knew if they were supposed to move or not. Like they had an expectation for the presence of God. It's interesting to me that, that we live in a stage where, where we're indwelled with the presence of God, we're indwelled with the Spirit of God, but I think they had more dependence on the presence in the Old Testament than we do today in the New Testament. Why? Are we not seeing it? You know, one of the questions I ask and and this is me, and I'm going to get to some, some truth that I think is about this. But sometimes I think we're surrounded by presence so much that we just ignore it. We had a, I had some salesmen come into the church this week trying to sell office supplies. Um, and, and you know what the first thing they said? Man, it's, it's beautiful up here. They've never been up here before. They, they were from like Grand Island, that flat part of the state where there's just nothing fun and exciting. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, man, it's, it's beautiful in here. It reminded me of my, my season when I, when I went to Ecuador on a mission trip and we're in the Andes Mountains and surrounded by like majestic mountains and there's this little dilapidated shack with a farmer who lives in that. And I remember looking at the lady who was leading our trip and I said, Tanya, do you think that guy ever just misses the beauty that's around him? Like sometimes I think we're so spoiled that we don't recognize the good that we have. 
Maybe that's the why. What happened in Genesis? Genesis chapter 3, we're going to go back there. Remember Eve ate of the fruit. That was the one thing she was told not to do. She gave it to Adam. He did the same thing. The man and his wife, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called them and said, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. I said, the Garden of Eden, this is my hypothesis about the Garden of Eden, it was distinguished by the presence of God. Adam and Eve sinned, and their response in the New American Standard, I better turn the pages on my notes and look at them at some point. Words of that. I must have deleted it. Anyway, the New American Standard, I know what it says. It says they withdrew from his presence. That's what the King James, New King James says as well. Isn't it interesting that sin caused Adam and Eve to do what? To turn from the very revelation of his kingdom that he was giving them. You see, with sin came shame. Shame didn't exist until Adam and Eve messed up. And because of their shame, they chose to do what? They chose to withdraw themselves from the presence of God. Too often, we blame God for us not experiencing His presence. We say, God, I can't feel you. God, I don't know where you're at. But we're the ones who are hiding behind the fig tree and we're wondering where God's at. God, I can't find you. What are you doing? I chose to be over here. You're everywhere. I know the word. You're all, all present. You know everything. Hide and seek with you doesn't work. And we're removing ourselves from the presence of God. That's the result of sin in our life. Sin is counter to the kingdom of God. And sin separates us from his desire, his created desire, his purpose for our lives. And we wonder, like, why am I not feeling you? Why am I not experiencing you? Why is it like this? And we choose. Listen, most of the time, you're choosing to separate yourself from his presence. Whether you recognize it or not. It's because of the choices in your life that you're feeling shame and you're starting to cover up and you're starting to withdraw and you're starting to remove yourself from what God has designed for your life. You're allowing your will, you're allowing yourself to become your king. You're allowing yourself to be identified by what you've done. And God is not identifying you by that. He's distinguished you with his presence. What does his presence mean? His presence means that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for that sin so you no longer have to have shame for what you've done. He sent Jesus Christ to die for that sin so you no longer have to be separated from him. Yet we feel shame and we allow ourselves to separate ourselves from him. It should not be okay to live as a child of God apart from the presence of God. It should not be okay in your life 
to live apart from the presence of God. If you are not feeling his presence, you better start asking some hard questions. If you are not feeling the presence of God, you might want to ask yourself, is there shame in my life? Am I hiding myself from him? You might want to start looking at yourself and saying, am I fully submitted? Because see, he promises he's never going to leave you or forsake you. He promises that he will be with you. He promises that he's indwelled you with the spirit of God when you become a child of God. If you're not feeling the presence, there might be something separating you from his presence. That's the essence of sin in our lives. That's what sin does. It separates us from him. People ask me that question all the time. Pastor, what is sin? We like the list, right? The do's and do nots. Sin in your life is anything that separates you from him. God's desire is that you experience his presence. We were created for what purpose? To have fellowship with him. Fellowship's pretty hard apart from his presence. God designed you for his presence. He created you with the desire to be with you. Why are we okay when we don't experience it? And I'm not just talking about on Sunday mornings. I get it. There's something when we're together. But God has filled you. He's given you the Spirit of God that you can have His presence not just here, but wherever you may go. I want to read these verses. Um, I didn't put them in my notes, so I'm just going to read them. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I read them before. This is verse 16. 2 Corinthians 5.16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself and Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We must be present with God because we need to be present with others. Does that make sense what I'm saying there? Scripture says that God has reconciled us to himself. What does it mean to reconcile? To bring together, right? You take those things that were separated and we put them together. We take those things that were apart and we bring them back together. God did that in our lives. We were apart from him and he's brought us to him. And he said, I've given you what? The ministry of of reconciliation. We must be present with God, but we must also be present with others. I will say that in the world we live in, that is one of the most challenging tasks to be fully present with people. We've got enough distractions. We've got enough things. I'm reading a book called Faithful Presence. Um, and, and, and here's what it said in this book. This was just an article or a, a, a note. USA Today reported that a chef named R.J. Cooper was opening a new restaurant in Murrayfield, Virginia. A carpenter asked him whether he wanted a cell phone charging station at the hostess desk. 
And he, abrupt, he answered abruptly, no, 100% a no. The article went on to report that the restaurant owners are struggling to create a dining atmosphere free from the distractions of social media and electronic communications. Several restaurants have banned people from taking or talking on cell phones at the restaurant. Social media distractions, they argue, are destroying people's ability. Listen to this. Social media distractions are destroying people's ability to be present with one another at a meal. They can't be present long enough to even look at a menu or order food. You see, we have to be present with God. But we also have to be present with one another. That's the body of Christ. He's called us to be his ambassadors. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. Well, if we don't know his presence, how can we bring others to his presence? If you're not experiencing the presence of God, how can you help someone else find his presence? I mean, that's the will of God for your life. That's the revelation of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is all about living not just for me, but for him. And by living for him, his desire, his will is that none would perish, but that all would have everlasting life. His will is that you would be an imperative tool in others knowing the king of kings and lord of lords. That you are the revelation of the presence of God. That you're the way that someone can understand the presence of God. Yet we neglect the presence for ourselves because we're just okay. kingdom of God isn't about just okay. The kingdom of God isn't about shame. The kingdom of God is about redemption. The kingdom of God is about revelation. The kingdom of God is about His presence. Look at John. John chapter 13, my children, I'll be with you only a little while longer. Sounds familiar to what we were just talking about with the revelation of the Holy Spirit. But what does he say? You'll look for me. And as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. But a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. What did Moses, what did God tell Moses would distinguish him? His presence. He's saying to the disciples, your love for one another is a revelation of my presence. Isn't that what this says? I'm not trying to take it out of context. I'm not trying to add to the word of God. I'm just trying to look at what was and what is and see, hey, does this maybe speak something to me about the presence of God? He says, by the love you have for one another, by your presence, because I don't know how you can have love and not be present. By your love for one another, others will know who I am. They'll know who, who Christ is. The presence of God is revealed through our presence with one another. But, but stuff. Man, I, I feel so bad. Sometimes I'm having a conversation with someone and my watch dings. And I usually look at my watch because it's a text message. And you know what happens every time I look at my watch? You know what? I'm communicating to the person I'm talking to and I still do it. Oh, you got something else to do? No, I want to be here with you. You know what I mean? There's enough stuff in this world. There's enough things to accomplish. Sometimes someone needs to just sit down and have a cup of coffee with you. Right, Jim? 
Sometimes someone needs you just to stop what you're doing and engage them for just a little bit because your presence is revealing the presence of God. Because I promise you, what happened to Moses when he was in the presence of God? Remember that? That whole mountain thing, show me your glory, he came down, what happened? Man, Moses, your face is so bright, put a towel over it. You see, when you're in the presence of God, it changes you. And others see the presence of God in you. And that conversation that you may not have enough time for, that situation that you've been trying to avoid, may be the very moment in which God desires His presence to be revealed to someone else, but you're not present. Are you experiencing the presence of God? You guys can come up. Uh, maybe, Carrie, you're going to have to come up by yourself, it looks like. Because, you know, sometimes there's things more important. Pastor, I, this is candid as I can be. Sometimes I miss the presence of God because I can't be present because I'm so engaged in everything else that's happening around me. I can have an incredible worship service, but I'm too busy thinking about this or that or what. And, and I miss the presence of God at times because I just can't stop. God designed his presence for you. God's design is that you would live in his presence God's design is that you would know His presence. God's design is that His presence wouldn't be limited to about 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, but that His presence would be something that would be with you day by day, moment by moment. When you get up and when you go to sleep, and while you're sleeping, His presence should be with you. God longs to be with you in all things at all times. He longs to be with you for you, and He longs to be with you for what He's creating in you. And he needs you to be present with others. This morning as, as we conclude, I'm going to have them sing a song and they know what they're singing. I don't. And that's all good. And the questions I'm going to ask is, are you present with God? And if you say, no, I don't know his presence or I haven't been feeling his presence, I'm going to ask you this. Has shame or sin been separating you from his presence of God? Because if shame or sin has separated you from his presence, my ministry of reconciliation is simply this. Jesus Christ has come to die so that sin could be forgiven. That sin is not forgiven partially. That sin is not forgiven incompletely, but that sin is forgiven wholly. There is no shame then in what you've done. Why? Because Jesus Christ has said the blood of the Lamb has washed that pure as snow. If you are wrestling with shame of anything in your life, something that was or something that is, the, 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 the confession of Jesus Christ's Lordship, the acknowledgement that that yes, this is separating from my life and it's something that I need to change. It's something that I long to change. It's, simply as, it's as simple as saying, God, forgive me for the blood of the Lamb. That's my ministry of reconciliation. And when we, when, we, when we take that which separates us, we experience the presence of God, a presence that is identified as love sometimes, a presence that's identified as peace, a presence is identified as joy. A presence is identified as just okay. But it's the presence of God that is yours. 
This morning, if, if you need to experience that presence, I'm going to open the altar here in just a little bit. If you need to say, God, forgive me for something or, or I've let shame or something else identify me, that moment will come. But the other question I want to ask you or the other question I want to put before you is are you present with others? Are you taking time to just sit there and hold your grandchild? Because that's what this moment is about. God needs you. That's why God has given you the ministry of reconciliation. God hasn't just given it to pastor. He's not just given it to a few. He's given us all the ministry of reconciliation. Next, in two weeks, um, on June 11th, I want to I highlight this because it's a big deal for me. Like my second favorite service of the year, favorites are baptisms. My second favorite service of the year is the ordination service that we do with the Assemblies of God. And, and when we get together for district council, we have a, an incredible opportunity. It's not normal for us to do ordinations in the local church. I think maybe it could be more normative because it's an incredible opportunity to acknowledge the call of God on Pastor Tara's life and to acknowledge her willingness to continue in that call of God. We all won't be ordained in front of the church on a Sunday morning. We all won't have a mantle passed and and placed before us, but every one of us has been given the ministry of reconciliation. Every one of us has been called by God to be his witness. Every one of us has opportunities to show the presence of God. What are you doing with what God has called you to do. Father, we thank you this morning. God, we thank you this morning that we're in your house. And we thank you for your plan, the revelation of the kingdom of God. A kingdom that's identified by the presence of God. Lord, it should be peculiar to us if we're not experiencing your presence. This morning as we've talked, this morning as we've looked at the word of God, I pray, God, that you've spoken to us. I trust the Spirit of God who is within us. I trust the Spirit of God who is upon us has spoken to our hearts, the advocate, the counselor, and said, hey, you need to be more present. I believe that to some, he's spoken, get out from behind that tree. Stop hiding from me. God, I believe to to some that that you've spoken, that that you love them, that 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 sin that was, it doesn't define them any longer. Stop, stop covering up. Stop being identified by shame, but be identified by Savior. Stop being identified by what you've done wrong, but be started being identified by what Jesus Christ did right. For others, Lord, it's that, that busyness of life. The challenge to be present where we are with those that are around us. God, if that's what we need, help us to see, help us to remember, help us to recognize the opportunity to show your presence. I thank you for a kingdom and a king who longs to be with me. Thank you for a king who says, I'm never going to leave you. I thank you for a king who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Thank you for a king who said, I'm not leaving you, but I'm sending, I'm sending the third part, that the Holy Spirit to live within you. God, help me not neglect the presence. The presence that's mine in your kingdom. Jesus' name.
as Carrie and Tam sing, I'm going to open the altars. If you'd like someone to pray with you, I'll be here to pray about something in your life. It may not have anything to do with what's going on, but it may have something, everything to do with what's going on. If you want to pray about shame, if you want to pray about sin, if you want to pray about separation, I'm here. If you want to pray about yielding yourself because you're just not present with others and you need God's help with that, I want to pray with you this morning. The kingdom is defined by his presence. It's identified by the presence of God. Seek his presence. Don't withdraw, but run to him. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you experience his presence day by day, moment by moment, wherever you go. Amen? Be blessed.